Yes, Father, you deserve all the glory for you are the only one worthy of our glory, of our praise, of our honor, of our respect, and of our attention. Father, thank you for being a good and a loving God. Thank you that we can come together and that we can lift our voices in praise to you. And it is our prayer, Lord, that our sacrifices of praise were pleasing and honoring to you. Father, as we prepare our hearts to get into the study of your word, we want to invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your will and your way. We ask that you'd speak to us out of your good word today. For it's in your name we pray, and together we'd say, Amen. You may be seated this morning. Praise the Lord. Everyone having a good week? Hey, before we get into our study, we're continuing our study through the Word of God. We're in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, chapter 3 we'll be looking at today. A lot of great, great principles for our lives today. Uh, Talking about a flood of blessings, we're going to learn how to receive a flood of blessings from the Lord today. And it's just an exciting study. But before we do, I want to share with you how you all were part of a flood of blessings uh, for the children in Mexico, the Mission Church in Mexico. We've been uh, uh, gathering back-to-school supplies. And I think, Mark, how many years have we been doing this? 1920 at least, right? Yeah, about, yeah. Somewhere in there. Many, many years we've been doing that. It started out under a tree, and the church has grown, and, and every year we take uh, school supplies there. Yesterday, Kelly and Esther went to, to do that. You see Pastor Lucy here uh, made up over 100 backpacks to give away, and just, just an awesome, awesome time. And here's some pictures of them doing that. Here they are giving away. They called each of the kids up one by one, prayed over them, gave them their backpacks, and just an awesome, awesome time. And not only the backpacks, but you see the church, how wonderful it looks and everything there. That's all because of the generosity of you people. You guys are just so. Yeah. Squeezing kids. Squeezing. But just just an awesome, awesome time. There's just some of the backpacks that were put together. There they are getting everything lined out, getting ready to stuff them and put them all together. And uh, there's another view of the tables of goodies there. Isn't that awesome? Thanks. Yes, you can say something. <laughs> yeah. She provides food, clothing, not just school supplies. Yeah. <laughs> Our kids age, but I don't. Yes. Yep. in that culture for a widow for female to to minister is another challenge that like we don't really fit here yeah 
or pencils and paper. There, yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. But thank all of you guys for your generosity and supporting. She is just one of one of five missionaries that that we support. Do a lot uh, more physical support with her with the food, clothes, stuff like that because she is here because she's so close, but also financial. So, uh, but I wanted to show you guys some pictures that you guys know what an impact you all are making around the world, not just in Mexico. But isn't that awesome? Praise Are you guys ready for our Bible study? If you're with us and don't have a Bible, we do have some at the front and the back of the churches. We invite you to study along with us. We're studying our way through the Word of God. Uh, and as we systematically go through that, uh, we cover all the chapters. How many of you know some of the chapters? I, I, I say this reverently respectful, but some of them you read faster than others. You know what I'm saying? Well, we're in a portion of Scripture. That it's got some heavy, heavy, heavy good stuff to it and, and today's study is just awesome so we're in second kings chapter three would you pray with me one more time as we get into the word of god father thank you for your word thank you for what you're doing in mexico and around the world with all the missionaries that we support and father thank you for allowing us to just be a, a small part of what you are doing and father thank you for that lord now we ask that you'd open up our hearts father to receive what you want to speak to our hearts through your word Father, help us make application. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. A lot of great things in this chapter. I want to begin by reading uh, the first three verses and uh, uh, bring up to speed and then get into the rest of it. So let's start reading verse 1, 2 Kings chapter 3. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned for 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and his mother. You'll recall his father was the wicked Ahab. His mother was the mean Jezebel. These two set the bar for wickedness in our world even today, right? And so he was bad, but not quite as bad as his mom and dad. For he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jer Jer Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, he did not depart from them. Let's just bring us up to where we are uh, before we get into this next event. Uh, this king, Jehoram, he was actually the second son of Ahab. The first son who was the king, you might recall we saw him a couple weeks ago, he fell through the upper lattice, and because of his injuries, he died. Remember that? And he had no children, so the kingship then came to his younger brother, the second born. Now, what's very interesting, we will see in a few chapters that Ahab actually had 70 sons. Can you imagine Christmas at Ahab's house? I, I mean, how do you... You would move from names to numbers at that point, right? <laughs> you know, 70, come here. And anyway, uh, this was the second born king, and just like all of them, he was a bad king. And... It says here, and this is important for the principles that I want to make today. It says that he was as bad as his mom and dad, Ahab and, and Jezebel, but not quite as bad because he removed the sacred pillar of Baal. The Hebrew scholars record this situation 
and they say that he he didn't destroy it. We're going to see that Jehu destroys it in chapter 10. He just moves it out of the town square for the purpose of getting Jehoshaphat to, to go in league with him. He didn't do anything about the pagan practices, the pagan religion, and all the immorality that went with Baal worship. He just moved the statue. And I got thinking about that. You know, a lot of Christians are like that today. Uh, have you ever heard anyone, maybe you've said this, hey, I don't care what sinners do, you know, as long as I don't see them. We need to be concerned about the hearts of people. Because just like hiding this statue, it will eventually come back out into the public square, right? You got, <laughs> I can tell there's going to be a lot of silence in this, this lesson today. And, uh, you know, uh, I went to a, 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 it wasn't classified Pentecostal, but it was classified Charismatic Bible College, Assemblies of God. And their goal was to get as many amens as, as they could out of the congregation. The preacher really, if you want to shut me up, don't amen. Because amens get you fired up. But I have found when, when audiences are silent, that means the Holy Spirit's working a little bit more than. That <laughs> Gilbert. Right. He, he, yeah, wake up. But you guys know what I'm saying? Right when the Holy Spirit starts talking to you, Kind of like, mm -hmm. there's going to be some glooms in this today. But it ends up in this great blessing. So he's going through there. Uh, verse 3, this is very important for us. What was the sin of Jeroboam? We read this over and over and over in the kings. All the kings are, are stood up next to Ahab and Jezebel and Jeroboam. What was the sin of Jeroboam? Well, you might recall that when he became king, in order to keep his people, he erected the two golden calves and he told the people, don't go to the tavern, don't go to the temple to worship. That's too inconvenient. It's more convenient for you to worship at the golden calves. It was a gateway. It was a small crack to get into uh, idolatry and pagan worship. They started out, we'll worship Jehovah here at the Golden Calves. But by the time it was over, they were full-fledged bell worshiping, right? And friends, when you start moving the ways of the world into church, before you know it, your church is the world. Does that make sense? A friend of mine, you know, I just love the way God works. It seems like whenever I'm in a portion of Scripture or something and I don't have a, an illustration, something will happen that week that will apply to it. Well, this past week, I heard from a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in, in quite a while. He actually, his job moved him out of state, and uh, he, he called, and uh, I almost didn't answer the phone because I didn't recognize the number, and uh, you guys do that, right? But I'm like, you know, Clay, you're the preacher. Maybe you should, you know, and uh, I've learned this trick. When they call you for an extended warranty, Here's what you do. You say, I'll listen to your extended warranty if you, tell, if you listen to mine, and then you tell them about Jesus. Yeah, they hang up. <laughs> but fair is fair, right? Anyway, where was I going with Oh, this guy called me. He's looking for a church in this new place that he's at, one of the Carolinas, north, south, east, well, I don't know, however, Carolina, wherever, you know. Uh, and he goes, you can't believe I've been going to some of the bigger churches. He goes, this last week, they started this rock concert, 
and we're supposed to be worshiping, and I kept getting hit by beach balls. They're, they're flipping beach balls around, right, during worship. And he says they got people dressed like they're working, a, a, his words, not mine, like they're working a, a, a garage sale up on the stage, and all they're doing is, is giving us fluff. Well, friends, when you start bringing the ways and the things of the world into, into worship, you're going to start worshiping at the golden calves. Does that make sense? And God keeps telling these people, you are in the ways of Jeroboam who caused Israel to sin. Friends, be careful how you worship. Amen? Okay. Verse 4. Now, Misha, the king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly, check this out, he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. That's a lot of sheep, right? I mean, just the, the meat from the lambs and then the wool, that's a pretty heavy burden. And we saw that it, way back in the days of, of David, did they start paying this tribute. And now things are going, and if you're taking notes, please write this one down. Whenever there is a change in leadership, that's a good time for the enemy to pounce. Now, we see that in our world physically, but let me take it to the spiritual level, right? When does the enemy like to attack people? Now, you guys won't know this, but when Christians are in a backslidden state, when there's a change in, a ruck in leadership, who's leading your heart? Making sense to anybody? The enemy can jump in there, right? Why? Because there's weak leadership. I told you it's going to be silent today. You're thinking? Now, once again, don't raise your husband's hands. But can anyone kind of relate to the picture of, of maybe you're, you're struggling in your spiritual life? Because and, and, we live in the world, right? A lot, lot of things vying for our attention out in the world, right? And we're maybe not walking as close with the Lord as we should or maybe we have in the past. How much easier is it to kind of give your attention to a temptation? Making sense to anybody? Okay, let's move on. I don't think we need to beat that horse anymore. But please notice this. Being involved with the enemy will cost you a lot. So now they're saying, well, we got this change in leader. This is our opportunity. Look at verse 5. So it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Again, they're having this change, and, and, and whenever there's a change in leadership, the people are always kind of uneasy, and, and we all can relate to that, whether it's a change in leadership in church or in government, whatever it is, right? So he says, here's my opportunity to, to stop giving them sheep. Verse 6. So King Jehoram went to Samaria at that time, and he mustered all of Israel. Now, this guy is a bad guy, but here he does something very smart that I think we could take a lesson from, and that is he starts reviewing his assets. He starts reviewing his strengths because he's got an enemy coming against him, so he's reviewing what he has. We as Christians, sometimes I think we need to take spiritual uh, stock of where we are spiritually standing. Does that make sense? You guys hear, hear what I'm saying? You know, start if, if you feel the pressure, if you're feeling stuff from the enemy a little bit, you're feeling a little bit temptation, maybe step back and say, you know, am I doing something that's allowing my defenses to to drop? Am I you know, am I am I watching things 
maybe I shouldn't be watching and opening myself up to thoughts that maybe I shouldn't think about. I'm not only getting silence, I'm getting stares. So I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to give you guys a visual of what a pastor sees during conviction. We start like this, listen to the pastor. And then it's, Now I'm dizzy. <laughs> Let's keep going because I still got to preach. So he's reviewing the troops and everything. Well, he doesn't quite have enough to look at verse 7. So he went out to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Remember, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, is a godly king, a good king. So he goes to him saying, the king of Moab has, has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I'll go up with you. I am as you are. My people are as your people. My horses as your horses. Now, we've heard him say that three other times. And three other times that he said that, he's gotten rebuked by men of God, the prophets. Why? Because Jehoshaphat was a good man, but he couldn't say no. He, he did not choose good friends. Friends, let me tell you something, and some of you, Clay, need to understand this. It's okay to say no to things you shouldn't do. All right? Let me say it one more time. It's okay for you, Clay, to say no sometimes. Who cares if they get mad at you? Don't get yourself in a war that's not yours to fight. Now, if, if, if you are called to something, you need to say yes, right? But if somebody that you're not supposed to be with comes to you and wants you to do something that goes against what God has told you to do, say no. Yes. So Joshua was a good man. He just had a problem with the right, right friends. He's been condemned for doing this. And all three, now this makes four times, all four of these occasions seem like they would be a good deal for Jehoshaphat, that he might gain something from this. But he ends up losing things from this. And when the Bible says not to be unequally yoked, God means that. That isn't just marriage advice, which is just good marriage advice, but it's also business advice. It's life advice, right? We are not to be connected to and joined with the unbelieving world. Now, Paul says we can't get out of living in the world. Of course, we're going to live in the world, but we have to make decisions about our spiritual walk and our life decisions based upon people uh, who are of like precious faith with us that, that believe the same thing we do, right? And so he doesn't do it. He says, yeah, let's do this. And so verse 8, and he said, uh, which way shall we go up? And he answered, now this is the king's talking. He said, well, by way of the wilderness of Edom, we're going to go around the south. Now this was a good strategic move because that would be where they were least defended, but it's the long way around. Verse 8, and he said, well, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. I just read that, verse 9. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. Well, now we pick up a third guy who isn't even a Hebrew. And they marched on the roundabout route for seven days, and there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Now, we all being desert dwellers know how important water is, Right? And uh, seven days without water is a very dangerous situation, right? Verse 10, and the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings to get together to deliver them into the hands of Moab. 
right next to verse 10 the word no. God didn't do this. It was their dumb decision. How many times do we not seek God? Do we do dumb things with dumb people and then we blame God? Right? I've told you guys about my ski boat, right? Oh, you guys are going to love this story. This was, this was B.C., before children. So you know how long ago that was. I had to have this boat. I live in a desert. Right? So I buy this boat. Had, that was, you know what the saying is? The two best days in a boat owner's life is, right? The day you buy it and the day you sell it. Worst mistake of my life. But I had a boat in the desert. Well, you know, God, why would you let me do this? Well, you have a free will, dummy. <laughs> yeah, no silence on that one. Thanks a lot. <laughs> but how many, but serious, this is a serious point. How many times do we do dumb things and then blame God? Then I hear it as a pastor. Why would God allow this to happen to me? Well, because you did something dumb. And I, that's me talking in love. Can you imagine not love what I'm saying to you? <laughs> right? Boy, don't they. And so God has delivered this, us three kings to the king Moab. Verse 11, and Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here? Should have thought about that seven days ago, Jehoshaphat. Right? Now, how many of you are glad that we can make bad decisions and in the midst of a bad decision, we can still go to God? I think all of us can relate to that, right? In that, in our, you know, our God is so good and so loving, so patient with us. Now, these two kings represent the two mindsets of the world. Jehoram, he wanted to avoid God. But Jehoshaphat wanted to seek God. And friends, that's what we need to do in our situation. Especially if we're feeling dry, if we're feeling wore out, if we're feeling tired, if we're feeling like we're just, they're on the roundabout. You feel like you're just walking around and around. Can anyone relate to that? Man, I just feel, Clay, like I'm walking around that same mountain all around and around and around and around. You guys ever get tired of being on the same path, going around and around and around? Seek God. There's an old church saying that I love. It says, without faith, we only focus on the problem. But with faith, we focus on the possibilities. Jehoram, is, he's wringing his hands in despair. This is it. It's over. But Jehoshaphat looks for a word from the Lord. He said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Now, notice this. We kind of read this and we forget how strong this is. Look what it says. So one of the servants of the king of, in, of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Here was a servant of a wicked king, but God had him in the place where he could give the answer. Right? You may be feeling like you're trapped in, in a hopeless place. You might be there to tell someone, there is a God in Israel. There is a God in heaven. Right? I think about the servant girl who told General Nahum, who had leprosy, hey man, there's a prophet in Israel. You go see him. He'll take care of your leprosy. Right? 
You don't have to have a degree to tell people. There's a God that can answer your questions. You don't have to be in some high social standing. All you got to do is say, I know a God. His son's name is Jesus. And he can take care of this for you. Here's this sermon, spoke up. He said, there, there's a guy named Elisha here. And uh, he gets along with bears. Remember last week? Okay, if you weren't here, you got to order the tape because it was good. Verse 12. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. He apparently has heard of him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Edom, went down to him. And um, this, <laughs> this is where the story gets really good. Verse 13. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Do you ever feel that way as a Christian? You know? You got a problem? You got yourself into it? You're mocking God? What does Oprah say? What's Dr. Phil tell you? I'm sorry if you're a fan of them, guys. I just needed a illustration, right? But I mean, Elisha's like, what Bell say? What's Chemosh telling you to do? Now check this out. It gets, this is awesome. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hands of Moab. Once again, that was not true. It was their own decision that got them there, right? Now they're seeking God for help. And Elisha said, I love verse 14, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely if it were not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I wouldn't even look at you or see you. I'm so mad at you, I wouldn't even talk to you. But I respect Jehoshaphat because he's a man of God. Now, friends, here's, here's the point that you and I need to make. And that is, we, we regard the greater than the king of Judah. We love and we serve and we worship the lion of the tribe of Judah. And friends, you guys know there's people in this world that aggravate me. And I'm just honest enough to admit it. And there's people and things going on that sometimes I want to respond like Elisha. You know, go to your own God. But because we respect and we honor and we serve the king of kings, the greater than Jehoshaphat, the Lord Jesus, we stand in the gap for others. Right? It's because Jesus loves them that we love them. When Peter denied Jesus and Peter's whole world was kind of falling apart and Jesus had this very special moment with Peter, this restoration. This is fascinating. Jesus didn't ask Peter, Peter, do you love sheep? Then go feed them. What did Jesus say? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep. See, friends, it's because we love Jesus that we tend the sheep. Now, don't, don't, I don't want to paint the picture like I hate people. I, I don't. Just some. No, I'm <laughs> I'm just doing this for, for. But I, I will admit, my wife will tell you that God has put a love in my heart for people. Because before I was saved, it's not that I didn't like people. It was just all about me. 
Can anyone amen that? So you agree it's all about me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Set you up for that one. But we, we are selfish creatures, right? But when we fall in love with Jesus, he will cause us to fall in love with his sheep. That's why we do what we do in Mexico. That's why we support missionaries in, in Africa, Brazil, India, and all around the world. Why? Because we love Jesus, and we love Jesus' sheep. That's why we do it. So he says to the king, you know, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat here, I wouldn't even talk to you. Friends, if it wasn't for Jesus, we probably wouldn't do what we do. But we do what we do because of Jesus, right? Because he has changed our hearts and given us new ones. Well, let's move on here because here's where some things are really, really fascinating. He says now, he's having a tough time. Verse 15, Elisha says, now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musicians played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. This is fantastic. He's not in the mood. He's not in, in the mindset to, uh, to, uh, to deal with this. So he calls for the musician. Latin word music is made up of two words. Muse means to think. Ick means uh, mood. Music dictates what we think and the mood we're in. Have you ever heard of mood lighting? Mood music? You know, there's a great science to music. They will play music in different places to get you to respond different ways. Right? I can't think of the name of that science, but it's out there. And this is very, very fascinating. Worship prepares our heart and our mind to seek the presence of of God he says I'm so mad that I can't deal with you so let's worship so I can hear from God now here's how powerful music is I'm going to sing a little song and tell me if you guys know the rest of it and if you do sing it I know you all dread me singing okay but There she was, just a walking down the street. <laughs> you guys are good. You guys are good. You guys are good. All right. One more. She wore a. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really test you. Bill will know this one. Ooh, e, ooh, ah. ah. <laughs> and the young people are like, what? And they're, uh, and they're complaining about our music. Last one, because this is fun. Last one, last, last one, this is fun. This is fun, last one. Jesus loves me. Now, don't you feel better already? <laughs> Seriously, right? Music is very powerful. Very powerful. And that's why I, I tell people, you know, if, if your mind is crazy, you, you've had a tough day and things are going on, turn on some good worship music and just let, let that music get your head right and your heart right. 
and worship God, right? Uh, Isaiah 54.1 says this. This is powerful. I, when Isaiah is writing this to the people, they're kind of in a position of what we're reading about here. The people were dry. People were having a hard time. And listen to what God told Isaiah to tell the people. He told the people to break forth in the song, you who are barren, break forth into singing and cry aloud. What's he saying there? You're feeling dry. You're feeling unproductive. You're feeling like all hope is lost. Worship while you're waiting. Worship while you're waiting. Paul tells us in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing, check this out, and admonishing one another in songs and hymns and in spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Music has a very important part in our worshiping God and in our getting our mind and our heart right because the Bible teaches us that God inhabits the praises of His people and He is enthroned in the praises of His people. When we sing and open our hearts to God, we are opening the throne to, and inviting God to come and have a seat into my heart and speak to my life. Isn't that awesome? So, if you're feeling this dryness in your soul, begin with worshiping God. And here's the word that God says to them and the word that God says to us in verse 16. And He said, Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. What? Dig some ditches because I'm going to send some blessings and you're going to need to, you're going to need to catch it. Check it out in verse 17. For thus says the Lord, you won't see the wind. You're not going to see any rain. But yet the valley is going to be filled with water so that you and your cattle and your animals may drink. And God's not done there. You're thirsty. You want to drink. I'm going to give you a drink, but not only that. Look at verse 18. He says, for this is a simple matter in the sight of God. They're panicked. We're about to die. God said, this is nothing. I thought you guys had a real problem. He's also going to deliver the Moabites into your hands, and you're going to attack every fortified city and every choice city, and you're going to cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good place of land with stones. I'm not only going to give you a drink, I'm going to give you victory. How many of you are feeling dry in your soul right now? You're needing victory. God says, I'm going to give you victory, and you're going to be so full of water, you won't know what to do. Ah, but here we see something else that's very, very important, friend, and that is the aspect of human participation. God says, I'll send it, but you better have a ditch, Doug. Now, not so much in our day, because of cool equipment and advancement and earth-moving things. But back like when I was a kid and my dad was a kid, you wouldn't threaten your kid if they didn't do good in school, and you'd say something like this, you want to end up digging ditches your whole life? They make good money nowadays. <laughs> so it'd be like, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll run a caterpillar, you know, right? But, but back in the day, it was a, it was a pickaxe and a shovel. A lot of work, right? Now, here's the point. Friends, sometimes it might take a little effort on your part to get the blessings of God. But your instructions are to dig the ditch. We might put it this way in the New Testament lingo like this. You might need to sow a seed. The, Africans have, the African farmers have this saying. When 
not just when I went over there, they still say it. <laughs> but the thing is this. We do our part and God does his part. We got to dig the ditch. Because God's wanting to send the blessing, but a lot of us, it just passes by and we don't even recognize it because we're not prepared to receive it. Now, how do we go, how do we go about doing this? Also, uh, let me read this. The measure of water available to those thirsty men was in direct connection to how faithful they were to dig the ditches. The more ditches, the bigger the ditches, the more water they could hold. Right? As you give, so shall you receive. Now, this is not just a money principle, although it does apply to that. Is your marriage feeling dry? Are you digging ditches? No, nope, but I'm thinking about digging a grave. That's not what God is saying. <laughs> that just came to me. I don't. <laughs> well, Kelly and I are okay. Don't get over. <laughs> that was funny, though, right? That was, that was kind of funny. What's the difference between a grave and a ditch? The ends, right? A grave, people think, I'm in the grave. There's no way out. But the ditch just flows on through, right? I can probably make a sermon out of that. I got to work on that one a little bit because that's just coming. I, I can probably work with that one. Anyway, <laughs> what was I saying with all that? Oh, in your marriage relationships, are you doing what you need to do? You guys here? <laughs> Mary's going, no, I'm not. You're single, Mary. You guys do this date night thing with your spouses? <laughs> you should. <laughs> you thought I was going to say some smart I got, right? You know, ladies, you're going to thank me for this after, after service, so I'm going to say it to your husbands. Men, here's our problem. Our problem. I'm saying this. Our problem, men. There's a lot of men at the wedding. When we say I do, what we're thinking is I'm done. Right? <laughs> I love preaching to you guys. <laughs> you guys see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what, what it is. We have our part to do. We got to dig our ditches. God will send the blessings, but we got to do our part to receive it. I talked about family, marriage, but it, it, those principles work with your kids. If you're, if you're struggling with your kids, what are you doing to, to maintain that relationship? Okay? You know, this, this will upset some of you. I got a couple of boys. Now I'm going to get some old boys. And that is this. Friends, it's, it's wrong to let other people raise your children. Okay? You can, wor you can worry about two incomes when they're gone. Because if you do it right, at 18, they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> you do it wrong, 32, they're still there. I see some of this going on. I hated when my kids moved away. I, I loved having my kids at home because I didn't want to mow. <laughs> um, let's move on. So it works with families. It'll work with finances. Are you digging 
the ditch for that. Okay, write this down. We won't turn there, but Malachi chapter three tell you how to dig a ditch for financial freedom. Okay, you got to sow that seed. You got to dig the ditches for the dry areas in your life if you want to receive what God is sending. Amen. Is this this cool for everybody? So they go out and uh, digging ditches is very hard sometimes. When you dig ditches, you're digging ditches with faith in the future. Their mouths were dry, their backs were sore, their feet were hurting from marching for seven days. There's no clouds in the sky, no rumblings. And here this guy called Elisha's start digging ditches in the dry valley. Notice it was in the valley. They had to believe that tomorrow those things are going to be full. Using our seed example, when you plant a seed, those of you who, who know a little bit about farming, you don't get the, the produce the day you plant the seed, right? So when you're doing it, you're doing it with faith in the future. When you're digging ditches, you often feel like your work is going with, without a reward. God said, you're not going to see a wind. You're not going to see a rain. But don't worry, it's coming. How many of you know and how many of you are thankful that God can do things outside of your realm of understanding? Isn't that good? Then verse 18, he said, this is a simple matter. Please underline that in your Bible. To them, this was a matter of life and death. God says, this is no big deal. I'm going to take care of this. And I'm going to completely cut off your enemies. Verse 19, we read that. And let's start reading again at verse 20. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by, uh, by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. God said, tomorrow I'm going to do this. And guess when it happened? Prayer time. We hadn't seen them doing anything. Now Elisha's in the camp and, and prayer started back again. And when the prayer started back again, here comes the water. Isn't that interesting? Verse 21, and when all the Moabites heard, not only do they get water, look what God does to the enemy. This is awesome. And when all the Moabites heard that, that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood by the border. So they get their guys together to, to fight this. Verse 22, and then they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. Now, for those guys, God's people who were drinking it, it was crystal clear, cool, refreshing water. But to the enemy, what did the enemy see? Blood. What does our enemy see when Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye who thirst and drink of the water I give you, he told the, wo the woman at the well. This beautiful, beautiful water of the word that we partake in, this beautiful water of the Holy Spirit that God gives us. What does the enemy see? He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's about to be defeated. They're looking over there, and because of the sun, it looks red. And look what they say. And they said, this is blood. The kings surely have, have struck swords and have killed one another. Now therefore, Moab, to the spoil. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them, and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. So they come, not with weapons, but with, with baskets to get the spoil. And now they show up and they come up against this, this rejuvenated army that has weapons and Israel takes them out. It's awesome. 
So they didn't plan on, on fighting, and they got their clocks clean. Verse 25, and then they destroyed their cities, and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it, and they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good trees, but they left the stones of Kir Herajeth intact. However, the slingers surrounded it and attacked it. So uh, all that's going on. Now look at verse 26. This is really gross. And the king of Moab saw the battle was too fierce for him, so he took with him 700 men who drew the swords, his, his elite guys, to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. They thought, you know, we'll go for the weak link, who was the third king, the king of Edom, but they couldn't get to him. Verse 27, so he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and he offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. Now this was common back in that day to appease their demonic gods. So what he's saying is, is to show you that I'm depending upon you, my false god, I'm going to give you my image of strength, which is the firstborn son. And he kills him right there in front of everybody on the wall. Isn't that horrible? But how many people today sacrifice their families to the false gods of materialism, pleasure, and all kinds of wickedness. Well, this was such a great in indignation against Israel. Now, the people, I find this fascinating. The people saw this pagan king sacrificing his own son, but they get mad at Israel. Blame Israel for him doing that. That's how backward the world is, was then and it is today, right? Why does our world blame the Jews and the Christians for all the dumb things they do? So they departed from him and they returned to their own land. Now we're going to end up here with five quick thoughts and they, they will be quick. I promise. Five things here. Uh, God, they wanted God's help and blessing, but they had to prepare to receive it. Five quick things if you're taking notes. Uh, number one, please notice there, or we could say our need for extreme obedience. Our need for extreme obedience. To enjoy the blessings of God, they had to immediately obey God's command to receive and to enjoy it. Delayed obedience is the equivalent of disobedience. Let me say that once again. Delayed obedience is the equivalent to disobedience. Elisha said you need to start digging. They start digging. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Friends, if you have been putting off God in your life, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day you need to do something. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe there is a dry area in your life. It might not be something we never even talked about today, but the Holy Spirit says to you, hey, dude, he's talking to you. Today's the day you need to start digging the ditch. The second thing we see here is please note, if you would, in this whole story, I highlight it in verse 17, but that is the faithfulness of God. God wasn't thought about until all this was over, until they were in trouble, but God still got them out of their, their mess. Can't we all say thank you, Jesus, for that? Right? 
I mean, I, I think we all can relate to have made a bad decision or two or three or ten, and God has helped us out. Thank you, God, for that. God's blessings and abundance are many times there, and we don't even see it. The third one is, please notice, if you would, the fullness of God's promises. I love this verse 17 through 19. God promised them not only a drink of water, but also victory over their enemies. Uh, one scripture I'm going to put on the overhead, that's Ephesians 3.20, a great scripture. Uh, good for us to know. Now to him who is able to do it exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. I don't know about you guys, but I can ask or thank God of a lot, for a lot. God's got it covered and then some according to the power that works in us. Man, our God is an awesome, cool God, and he's got it covered. Isn't that a good, that's good news right there. So the fullness of God's promises we can bank on. Fourthly and almost done, the fulfillment of God's word. Once again, the ditch-digging instruction prepares us to receive. I made mention of, of finances, Malachi 3, uh, family, investing in your family, doing... I, I made this note, and I thought this was pretty, uh, pre- pretty strong. And I don't know if I heard someone say this years ago or, or if I just thought of it, but it's so intense, I'm going to take credit for it. You can have a big house, but a small home. You can have a big house, but it's a small home. Invest in your families. And then thirdly, uh, invest in your faith. Dig in ditches. Are you spending time in the Word? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time in serving others? Are you spending time in worship? Friends, we need to be careful students of the Word of God. We need to invest in our uh, our time with God. Uh Lastly, five, and worship team, you can start making your way up here. We need to understand that we need to, we need to understand that there is a future blessing of our faith and obedience to others. Let me say that again. There is a future blessing of our faith and obedience to others. Now stay with me on this one here. Those ditches that they dug and those pools that they dug in the bottom of that valley once that water evaporated and was drunk those ditches and and ponds were still there for the next time it rained (coughs) so that the next people could enjoy it friends god might be using you he's using us as a church we talked about the missions to dig ditches so that other people can enjoy god's blessings sometimes we can be the ditch we can be the channel that god uses to bring blessings to flow to other people. You you see what I'm saying? So your experience may be tough, may be miserable, but please remember this. God's going to use you to bless someone else. Paul said it this way, that you will comfort others with the same comfort in which you have been comforted. You may be going through something really heavy, really deep, and you're thinking, Pastor Clay, I can't dig a, a ditch deep enough to help me. Well, you can God can fill it. But somewhere down the road, trust me, God will put someone in your path 
going through the same thing you're going through. And you know what you're going to be able to do? You're going to be able to truthfully and honestly say, I know what you're going through. And let me tell you how God got me through this. Do you realize that all of you pastor this church? Some of you have gone through things that I can't, I, I can't relate to. Some of you have, have lost and buried spouses, children. Some of you have divorced. Some of you have gone through uh, terminal diseases. I can give you the platitudes, you know, all things work together for God, for good for those who love. And that is true. But someone who's been through the cancer battle, put their arm around your shoulder and say, listen, it's scary. Chemo. Can I talk a little Buckeye here? Chemo sucks. But here's what God did for me. Right? Friends, when we're digging ditches, it's not just for us. Sometimes it's to help others. Amen? I think that was the last one I had. One more. Verse 19. We need to make sure that we destroy the ditches and the wells of the enemy. God told him, when you go to these pagan cities, fill up their wells, cut down their good trees. Friends, we need to make sure that we don't allow the enemy an opportunity to fill the well that only God can fill. Does that make sense? Okay, we're going to stop there. Stand with me, would you please? We're going to continue with some more awesome things that Elisha does and the blessings of the, the city next week. It's going to be going to be cool. Did you guys learn anything today other than I'm, I, I'm not a song leader? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I did okay? Good. Okay. Let's pray, would you? Father, thank you for your good word. Thank you for encouragement. Father, thank you that you give the thirsty a cool drink of water. Father, thank you that you are the God that meets all of our needs, Lord. But Father, today we saw a very important lesson and that is that our responsibility in receiving. Lord, a lot of us are guilty of, of, of wanting and demanding a harvest without sowing a crop, sowing seed. Father, many of us might be guilty of ignoring your instructions to get rid of the enemy's ditches. And we keep finding ourselves on that same path going around and around and around the same mountain. Father, today we repent of that and we ask for you, God, to, to change our heart and our life. Father, like these kings that have been walking for seven days thirsty, Lord, we're tired and we need what only you can give. So help us today. Father, I, I, I want to pray for families, relationships that are feeling dry and very strained today. Lord, I want to pray that you would bring that, that refreshing that only you can bring. Father, there might be people here struggling in so many different areas. God, I, I certainly don't have the answer, but you do, and I know you. 
So today I'm asking you, God, to touch every heart, speak to every life today, and provide every need, whatever it would be. Father, help us as a church to be good ditch diggers. Father, we rejoice in what you did in Mexico yesterday and what you're doing around the world, and we're grateful that we can be a small part of of your work around the world. But Father, may we not get so focused to foreign nations that we miss what's happening here in our own sanctuary. Father, help us to be healing and hope for the hurting here in our own body. Holy Spirit, we now in these next few minutes, as we turn our attention and our hearts to worship, we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to perform a spiritual surgery on all of our hearts. Father, would you meet every need? Would you give guidance, encouragement, instruction, healing, and hope? And Father, as always, we give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We talked a little bit about the importance and and the power of of worship today. Uh, In these next few minutes as we open the altar, I want to invite you to be in an attitude of prayer and in an attitude of praise. We do want to open the altars that if you have a need, if you need prayer, we invite you to come forward now. We want to pray with you. <coughs> Fellas is going to join me up front. Kaz is going to join me up front. We want to pray for you. But uh, where you're at, you can pray. You can worship. Let's let God do what he wants to do today. Amen? Let's worship God.